So, Laszlo, um, well, welcome. We, we were talking, um, in this podcast, we're talking about bad decision-making as an organizational problem. And um, this is linked to uh, your book, actually, uh, where you write in Critical Thinking, Chapter 2, Section 2A, I don't know the page number, that individual, we are smart and together we are dumb. Um, and I mentioned uh, already, um, I will mention a, a few quotes by Terry Pratchett, um, the late fantasy writer of Discworld. And he said, for instance, that the intelligence of that creature known as a crowd is the square root of the number of people in it. And immediately you think of the wisdom of the crowds. And the IQ of a mob is the IQ of its most stupid member divided by the number of mobsters. Now, um, in organizations, one might come up with some smart statements. Um, and usually uh, they're more becoming important to an organization when people come up with smart decisions or, or answers to problems, etc. And if we focus a bit more on this, this is not about then not about um, a group being unable to come up with smart decisions, right? Because this is not yes, what you're yes. saying in your book. Yes, yes. Yes. So I think uh, many things are interesting when it comes to comparing the wisdom of the crowd, which, as you mentioned, was a hot topic, uh, has been a hot topic for the past few years. Yeah. And uh, comparing them to the mob or mm -hmm. uh, to the mass, mm -hmm. which uh, is undeniably, I think these descriptions, <laughs> you know, maybe a little exaggerated, but I can yeah. agree with those. Uh, I think they make a good point. Mm -hmm. So what is the difference? What is the difference between the mob and the crowd? Yeah. And, uh, and this transfers, this question also transfers to business organizations or any kind of other organizations where um, we can see that uh, many times smart guys get together, make smart decisions. Mm -hmm. And many times this is not the case. And this is very interesting. Why is it yeah. that it is not the case? Uh, I'm not suggesting that maybe uh, at these uh, anomalies where smart people get together and make bad decisions. Right. Uh, this would not imply that they are by any means a, a mob. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't, I don't want to draw that analogy, uh, even though we kind of introduced it with it. But, uh, but it's very interesting to look at this as an organizational problem. What may cause such uh, a screw-up? Yeah, because uh, obviously there's, if, if you look, and I think we don't dive into the technique of decision-making or the art of decision-making, but what often happens is that that uh, the decision making is um, done like uh, di like a kind of design thinking. You know, there's there's a problem. Uh, people discuss a problem. They go subgroups. They uh, split up the problem. They go back. They reflect. They go back again uh, to to rethink. And then at the end, the decision is made. And uh, I'm totally um, agree. I totally agree with you that uh, you can't say that that if it, for instance, is done like this that you get uh, stupid decisions. That's not true. But what we're talking about is this anomalies that link to the, the company culture, where, for instance, uh, I think things like peer pressure or, or groupthink or maybe the hierarchy of persuasion uh, play a role. And uh, obviously, this is dealing uh, with the company culture. Um, but it might also deal with the way how people discuss, not only rational, but for instance, with emotions or aspirations. 
yes, all these are factors, and maybe we will look at most of these factors in right. this conversation. Uh, I think to simplify, maybe it's good. It's a good idea to look at uh, a concrete example when these mm -hmm. screw-ups happen, and have a look what may have happened there. Okay. So, in, in this book, I use the example of uh, Airbnb um, mm -hmm. nine years ago, as they made um, a very bad decision collectively as a group, mm -hmm. and uh, it's very. It's almost a laboratory case. It's so pure from the point of view that it's a classical textbook case of smart people being in one room mm -hmm. in order to make a decision. Right. The problem was that um, before the company was uh, public and they were preparing for an IPO mm -hmm. and uh, hundreds of millions of dollars were pumped into the company. So there was a lot, a lot at stake. Mm -hmm. you know. Uh, there was a, a shitstorm that hit the fence. And mm -hmm. what happened was that uh, simply there was a woman uh, who was using Airbnb and let, um, let out her flat. And her flat was completely destroyed by the guests. <laughs> and they, ev they even managed to steal her identity. Really? It was an, uh, it was, yeah, an identity theft was all involved in this situation. So it was really the worst imaginable situation in one singular case yeah. came together as a, in this constellation. Yeah. And uh, the woman was naturally uh, going to customer service and stuff, but never got any answers or any help. Mm -hmm. And uh, she started to blog about it. And her blog... Mm -hmm. was spreading like wildfire. So right. everybody picked up on the story, including uh, TechCrunch, which right. is a very influential publication in the Silicon Valley. So people actually read that stuff. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and in TechCrunch, uh, TechCrunch was founded by uh, Michael Arrington, uh, who is a very feisty guy. So he loves, enjoys fights. Right. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, he picked yeah. up the story. So nothing worked. And uh, so this was a, an interesting situation. Airbnb actually was favored by the media. So they mm -hmm. were a media darling. They loved to write <clears throat> about them. Mm -hmm. It was a great success story. It still is, of course. And, and uh, they could have managed uh, their leverage, their good mm -hmm. relationship uh, with the media as a leverage to right. kind of mitigate this situation. So anyways, uh, there were the founders, three founders, smart guys, obviously, mm -hmm. uh, by <clears throat> conventional uh, standards. They mm -hmm. graduated from uh, Y Combinator, which is uh, one of the most famous um, startup incubators in yeah. the world. Mm -hmm. So whoever graduates there is is has smarts, idiots don't graduate. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. so, so these guys were smart, we can say, by Silicon Valley standards, they were smart. Right. And um, on their board of directors, there was uh, the founder of Y Combinator, also a very famous uh, uh, venture capital investor guy, tons of contacts in the industries. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we have uh, the biggest minds in venture capital, and uh, good startup uh, people, startup mm -hmm. founders, locked in the room, in the war room, 
to figure out how to respond to this situation. Right. So this is why I said it's like a laboratory experiment. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and, you know, the best they came up with, the, and this is hap- what happened, and this uh, retrospective, it's uh, mind-boggling. Mm-hmm. Uh, the founder, Brian Chesky, called up the woman and uh, tried to persuade her to remove her blogs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and just and what was the explanation? How he was a nice guy, so he was not threatening or anything. Mm-hmm. He was a, he just thought that by reasoning with the woman, by explaining to her how yeah. the public markets work, it would be enough. So, yeah. so, so he yeah. that like you, she yeah. had no emotions at all. <laughs> no, you know, we have like almost 300 million invested in the company. We are valued at one billion. We go in public, yeah. and uh, what you're doing is really hurting us. It, we would appreciate it if you would just remove. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so this was logically it makes sense, but you know, <laughs> logically from their point of view, yeah. From their point of view, it makes a lot of sense, you know, yes. from a woman's point of view, no, who was no. probably making a living by renting out her place, yeah, yeah. which was, this, this didn't make a lot of sense, even logically. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, putting aside the emotional factor, this was, by all conventional standards, a very stupid response. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was not a smart response. No, and, and, and then... And and then, but then uh, we move a bit into, let's say, um, and we, we maybe best keep away from it, but a bit into the definition of smart, because then smart here is very much to do with logic, uh, but not socially smart, because if they would have been socially smart, they probably would have not done that. I believe that logic is uh, such a universal factor sure. that it applies also to being socially smart. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I understand what you're saying, that when it comes to social, mm. the social terrain, logic is not the only factor. Right. And there are other factors, for example, emotions and mm. uh, empathy and many mm. other things. Mm-hmm. And, and it's absolutely true. And, uh, but logic is not uh, missing from that picture either. Okay, know. so we, yeah, okay, let's, let's say then that we define the logic as, let's, as, as based on the rationale. Based on rationale, yes, yes. Uh, I, you know what? I would probably. I never thought this through. I'm just throwing it. In. Yeah, well, well, me either. <laughs> but I would, I would also argue that um, that being socially smart, being empathetic, right, has also a lot to do with logic. Yeah, there's a lot. <clears throat> well, you know, you know the difference between an IQ, EQ, that kind of stuff. It might be a bit fuzzy. Um, Yes. But uh, I know what you mean. But but the the fact is here that it's it's there's there's three brilliant people and they made a very stupid decision. And what I think plays a role as well. They at least this is what I'm assuming. They're in the top of the organization. This is not a subgroup somewhere in an in in an org chart doing a decision. I mean, no, no, this is absolutely. Uh, <laughs> this huh? is the top group. Yeah. So. Uh, and it was a, a very amateurish, amateurish mistake in critical thinking when they simply didn't consider all the factors. Mm. So it was not even logic, I would say. It was really just they forgot to consider the woman's point of view. Right. <laughs> but what, so, what we probably don't know, there were three of them, yeah? 
maybe more. I mean, uh, huh? I'm not sure how many. Oh, okay. Three, three founders, yes, yeah. plus the VC guy. And uh, I would <clears> assume <throat> that maybe more people from uh, Y Incubator. And uh, maybe even more. I mean, at that time, they already hired, uh, I think, Goldman Sachs for, uh, for for doing the IPO. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I would I in- imagine that even people from there. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, yeah, because I was interested. I mean, might that this be a peer pressure? That I mean, there's one top dog and and he's dominating other people, would, because usually then, if this is a group of people and they will have a discussion, um, it might might very well be that somebody else came up with a different idea. Not Absolutely. all of them were saying yes. It's a brilliant idea. Let's do that. Absolutely. Yeah. So and, and this is the, this is the point where I think we can elaborate on the nuances between yeah. various organizations. And yeah. this is exactly what I was thinking also. And of course, this is speculation. I don't know no, what exactly no. happened, but uh, just remaining on the grounds of speculation. Um, what's interesting here is that startups, mm-hmm. at least in the early stages of their lives, are relative, the, the level of organicity in their companies is pretty high. Mm-hmm. It means that people, and this is the wisdom of the crowd, mm-hmm. you know, the, the wisdom of the crowd, and in my definition, the difference between a crowd and a mob, mm-hmm. that uh, the crowd has a higher level of organicity in yeah. it. And the mob, there's nothing in it. It's mm-hmm. just... Uh, a bunch, a hype yeah. of uh, disconnected individuals. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, and um, so in startups, the wisdom of the crowd comes to the fore very strongly. So people very naturally can organize themselves. Mm-hmm. They don't need any tools. Mm-hmm. So they don't need uh, Scrum and uh, various holacracy and other methods. They actually do everything very naturally. Right, right to assign tasks and do the tasks and everybody knows what he should do and uh, yeah. what's his best. So it, things are very organic and very cool. Mm-hmm. And this is why people love startups. Mm-hmm. So Airbnb at that stage was not a small company, but uh, we can presume that they were still pretty much a startup with a high mm-hmm. level of organicity in the company. Mm-hmm. And um, what happened, in my opinion, is is act, exactly what you mentioned that maybe there was a, a top guy a, a top mm. dog dominating the conversation mm. and it i assume that it may have been from the investment bank uh-huh. you know yeah. so i forgot if it was morgan stanley or Goldman mm. Sachs, one of these top okay. top guys yeah. were doing it so i can imagine that uh, when the guys from and investment banks are probably one of the organizations with the lowest level of organicity in them. Mm -hmm. Every organization has a level of organicity, Mm -hmm. otherwise it would not stay together. But uh, I think uh, in investment banks, a highly bureaucratic organization, uh, the level of organicity is incredibly low. So people are acting very mechanically. Uh, even personally, each individual is a mechanical and very robot-like, mm, so mm, to speak. Mm. I don't know if you've been in a party with investment bankers. It's no. uh, <laughs> it's uh, not fun, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so it's not not your definition of fun. Like <laughs> no, 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 no. I've been I a party with bankers, were, but not investment bankers at that point. No. <laughs> 
I've been, I mean, uh, you know, I'm not many times, so I'm not an experienced guy, but I've been a couple of times and it was yeah. always incredibly boring. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so these guys are like robots. Mm. So uh, I can imagine that when the investment banker takes part at a meeting like this, he dominates the conversation because the you know the startup wants to go IPO. Yeah, definitely in that phase. Yeah, they will take them to the IPO, mm -hmm. so they kind of adjust. Yeah, and, uh, they want they don't want to hinder the the IPO, so they do probably what the guy says. Exactly. So they have a situation. This is the guy says you know this is gonna devalue the company. It's not. It's a terrible timing. Yeah. So we have to make this disappear. Right. <laughs> or something yeah. like that. Yeah. So, uh, so basically, uh, when the organicity collides with me a mechanical thinking, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that may lead to such uh, screw-ups. Yeah, yeah. And of course, the situation in this case escalated, and the lady never stopped uh, blogging and. Uh, other news outlets picked up the story. Mike Arrington personally picked up the story mm -hmm. and found other victims, as he said, other victims of Airbnb. Right, so right. it just escalated badly. Mm -hmm. And uh, the end of the story was that uh, they, in the end, they did what they were supposed to do in the beginning. Yeah, yeah, they yeah, just yeah. Uh, compensated the woman yeah. for the loss and introduced the policy that whenever this happens, you know, it will Airbnb will compensate the victim. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. anybody knew, like uh, with a high school degree, that this was the right move to do. Right, right. And um, so, yeah, this is why it's an anomaly, and this is why uh, it's interesting to look at uh, bad decision making as an organizational problem. Yeah, yeah because but it it would in this case it probably would not help either if the guy was with four, five, six people, the main this top guy, uh, or just himself. He would probably make the same decision. And and I think indeed in this type of decision making, if you do it on your own, you might go fast, um, quick decisions, but they're not always the best. Because I think in reflection, um, you get the best. And reflection with yourself, a one-man band reflecting upon what he's uh, personally saying, is quite difficult. Absolutely. Like the tunnel visions and stuff. Uh, so then it's, it would be um, way better to have decisions made by a group. But then, if you uh, having decisions made by a group, there's some other things that come in. Uh, for instance, if you work uh, in a group and there's decisions to be made, usually what happens is that there, there um, will be discussions about what to do, right? And if you talk about discussions, this is always a reactive thing. You say something, I react uh, upon that, etc., etc. Um, but this is not a real dialogue. I mean, you can have dialogues with, with more people, one-to-one, uh, -one, which is more reflective. Um, so this, I, I would say this is a difference between a dialogue and a discussion. And in these discussions, uh, all these things that we just mentioned, like peer pressure and groupthink or hierarchy or the values of someone very um, having a, a tough aspirations or emotions, all these things that play a role. You need a group, but in a group you have to be aware of what's going on and you might even want to have somebody around reflecting on, on the, the, the whole process. That we, we shouldn't forget, though, 
that um, there is difference. There's a difference between groups and groups. For example, mm. when it comes to companies run by the founders, see mm -hmm. Apple and Steve Jobs, you know, mm -hmm. or uh, Bill Gates and Microsoft mm -hmm. and stuff, the dynamics are incredibly different because the the top group, the top mm -hmm. management was handpicked by the founder. Mm -hmm. And the founder handpicked the top management based on himself. Mm -hmm. He mm -hmm. picked guys he needed, he himself, yeah. Yeah. not what the, he, he is the company. Right. And this reminds me, Steve Jobs' stories are plentiful about this. Steve Jobs was the man, he called the shots. Oh, sure. And, uh, and everybody just served him, basically. And uh, everybody assembled around him, reflected uh, what he needed, what he didn't have. Mm -hmm. But he was the man calling the shop. Same, the shots. Uh, same with uh, Bill Gates. Right. I I remember I saw a documentary about his last days at work, or like mm -hmm. shortly, like at the end of his tenure at Microsoft, mm -hmm. and that uh, was like a pretty stupid documentary. And uh, the reporter was following him everywhere mm -hmm. uh, to meetings, you know, interaction at the lobby and stuff like mm -hmm. that. And you really had the impression that uh, the man, Bill Gates, was really frustrated by all the idiots around him. <laughs> that was, you know, I don't know if he, he thought that, but that was what I perceived. Yeah, 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 that, uh, that he never, like, he lost his temper a lot of times at meetings. Yeah, that yeah. people just didn't get what he wanted. Yeah. They just didn't get it, yeah. you know. So uh, he had the, the initial group of two, three guys mm -hmm. at the beginning. So he needed a sales guy, mm -hmm. so he bought in a Steve Ballmer, and mm -hmm. uh, he needed a tech guy, mm -hmm. but he was also a techie himself, and he, and he got rid of the other techie. And uh, so basically it was just two of them at the beginning, Ballmer mm -hmm. and himself. And then a very small group that kept on changing and growing. And as mm -hmm. the group grew, got out of his hand, he no longer controlled directly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he was already frustrated, and uh, the discussions in such a case, when the, when the founder is involved, is really centered around the founder, and there's no yeah. discussion there. Yeah. No dialogue, no discussion. It's uh, people give input, and one man calls the shots. Yeah. You know? And it's much different if uh, there is a manager who built his career through five companies, he gets hired as a CEO. Mm. Uh, to the sixth company, sure. he walks in that he didn't pick anybody there. He walks <laughs> into a, a group of strangers. Yeah. Uh, of course, he, he's going to be more open, if he's smart, more open to dialogues. Mm -hmm. so he can uh, orientate himself. Yeah, yeah. And three years into it, three, four years into it, if he's still there, maybe he had an impact on that group. But uh, it's much more likely that uh, if he's still there, He's there because he was conducting dialogues and discussions. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and I, I, I certainly agree that there definitely is a difference between just a manager or a, or, or a manager and the, the founding father owner. That is absolutely, absolutely. That's a different league, certainly. I was thinking, by the way, just the way you were talking about this. This is um, so. What if you would, if we talk about then decision making in in organizations uh, where um, dominant people might be around, or and definitely there will be groupthink and stuff. If you if you look to the um, Socratic idea of 
you know, Socrates, at, at least Plato then, he wrote about in the Republic, that uh, not everybody is, is fit for voting. Uh, you know, uh, you've yes. needed first a, a thorough education. And um, would it be a solution if you would say you need a, a decision-making um, education first, and otherwise you're not fit for making decisions? I personally believe absolutely that uh, you need a different kind of education mm. in order to be able to call the shots in mm -hmm. situations where you are responsible for people. Mm -hmm. and. Uh, and this education is not given by business schools. No. That's a, that's a given. Like uh, mm -hmm. business schools uh, prepare mechanical robots for a mechanical environment. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I believe that the classical, uh, the seven liberal arts, especially the mm -hmm. trivium, the first yeah, trivium, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Is the foundation, and it has always been the foundation. Yeah, you know, yeah. both yeah. in antiquity and the Middle Ages. Yeah, the, grammar, the, logic, and rhetoric. That completes the picture. Uh, mm -hmm. So, and what do I mean by grammar? Uh, I studied this uh, intensively, but uh, to take it a level up, it also, and this is what they used to do in antiquity and Middle Ages, mm -hmm. that they were interpreting texts. Mm -hmm. For example, like difficult texts mm -hmm. from literature or mm -hmm. uh, theology mm -hmm. that is not easy to understand, high-level mm -hmm. philosophy, mm -hmm. and that uh, that was called grammar. Mm -hmm. Do you understand what you read? Mm -hmm. Do you understand what you hear? Mm -hmm. And uh, the aristocratic method addresses this yeah. with the questions. Yeah. You know, what do you mean by this? What do you mean by? Let's define. Like the, the, the modern analytic uh, analytic philosophy. Yes, this part is rather analytical, absolutely. So do we understand what mm. we hear? And uh, it's not always clear. And uh, mm. we both, I think, have experience mm. with these group discussions. Many times somebody says something and three people interpret it three different ways. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I've been in, um, as an example, I've been in, in uh, several meetings uh, with retail people and um, um, my role was actually to to look at that as a uh, as a challenger. Uh, you just know, so sit aside. The people are just talking, and you, I mean, you can't do it any any every moment. Uh, but once in a while, say, well, did you hear what he said? And and can you <laughs> yes. repeat what he said? And and what does he mean? You think you know? And then, well, we all know very uh, very often um, people don't understand each other really well. Yes, yes. Yeah. And there's, there's good reasons for that, of course, and uh, not only grammatical, <laughs> there's also many no. other reasons for mm. that. Mm. But uh, grammar itself plays a great role, yeah. and uh, sometimes we really forget. Mm. I, uh, like there are, just to mention in brackets, we're not digress here, mm. but many times you can see that people, even though they agree with a state, they start by saying but yeah <laughs> <laughs> but they agree there's absolutely no reason to I agree start. but yes <laughs> uh, he doesn't say agree but, you know he just wants to show that he agrees yeah, but yeah, start yeah. with a but and yeah. uh, this is so common uh, for uh, this is just one example when it comes to actual basic basic grammar and uh, and of course uh, logic 
is not being taught besides um, information technology departments where they actually do teach the basics of uh, logic yeah but it should be taught uh, in uh, in, hum in uh, humanities yeah. uh, much more intensively i personally would reintroduce and i'm kind of working on it uh, that mm -hmm. trivium into oh, I, yeah, yeah, I totally agree, and, um, and and definitely it would make sense if uh, people are skilled in that before you start discussions, and that you agree to the principles, because then it takes out the peer pressure or groupthink or hierarchy. I mean, you know, then it doesn't matter. These are the principles. This is where you stick to that, and uh, let's kick off. And that also brings us to what you mentioned earlier: who should participate? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm in these discussions mm -hmm. and uh, because currently in uh, most organizations uh, who's participating in meetings has become like uh, either a process question or mm -hmm. a political question yeah. and many times people who participate should not be there mm -hmm. there's absolutely no set no it makes no sense for them mm -hmm to be in at meetings mm. and uh, and sometimes it's ideolo ideologically driven mm -hmm. so for example uh, there is this famous thing that uh, here is a chair for the customer we leave it open like mm -hmm. you know <laughs> that's a good thing it's yeah. uh, empty <laughs> sometimes yeah, 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 yeah. but uh, but uh, in the same following the same philosophy Many times people are invited to strategic meetings, strategy meetings mm. that cannot contribute in any way, just because it, it looks like a great inclusive idea. Mm. You know? mm. So for example, uh, let's bring somebody from the shop floor. Mm. You know? And um, if the man can contribute to the strategy, maybe more than the those mm. present mm. then we have an organizational problem mm -hmm. because uh, the st st uh, strategic decision makers uh, may not be qualified mm -hmm. you know but if they are qualified uh, then uh, they should be qualified making the strategic decisions mm -hmm. and they it, I'm not saying they should not ask mm -hmm. for input people mm -hmm. on the shop floor of course right you know but to bring them to the board uh, People who cannot contribute to such a process, it would be kind of you know, nonsense, in my yeah. opinion. And that uh, this is when uh, these choices are driven by ideological, uh, right. the wrong ideological considerations. Right, right. Same counts for non-ideological, like you know, you ask volunteers who wants to join the meeting and think about this and this, then, then you definitely don't get, very definitely don't get the right group. Yes, of course, of course. So this is all just, a, it was somebody's idea. It was one guy's idea, and it became, this idea became an ideology. And typically, when ideologies evolve from one guy's idea mm -hmm. about a particular situation, these are probably mm -hmm. wrong ideologies. Mm -hmm. Many, I mean, uh, every, we, have, we are basically, the corporate world is full of these. Right. Full of these. Like, one university professor comes up with an idea, writes a book about it, licenses the stuff, everybody's using it, you know, it became an ideology. Right. It was just one, one man's idea. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
So, and this, of course, doesn't help uh, because nobody is challenging these things. They accept it as law, as mm-hmm. like the law of gravity. Mm-hmm. This is how we do it, mm-hmm. how we must do it, you know. Yeah. And this, this leads to organizations becoming very mechanical. Right. And um, when it comes to decision making, of course, when it comes to insignificant decisions that are being made ta- by the thousands every day, Mm-hmm. It makes no sense even to consider these decisions. Right. The most important decisions are the critical ones, mm-hmm. like the one in Airbnb's case, when mm-hmm. uh, the company may suffer. Sure. Uh, that's, the rest of the decisions are not even really decisions. You know, people are just agreeing what they're going to do fine, you know, yeah. and the company will continue even if they don't make these changes. Yeah. Yeah, the point is, I mean, I totally agree that we need a trivium uh, and the, the critical thinking is, uh, but you know, it's it's always difficult um, because usually, at least is my perception and in organizations, people like critical thinking. Yeah, cool. We should do that. It's, 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 it's great too. But, you know, and, and then the one who in the end would pay the bill for a workshop on critical thinking would say, well, I, I'm, I'm, I would be happy with this. But it shouldn't be a problem to me because, you know, I want to make my decisions fast, quick and not come up with anybody coming up with really critical thinking and critical questions because that's delaying the, uh, the speed where it's moving ahead. It's, it's a very interesting paradox yeah, absolutely. When, it comes, uh, when it comes to critical thinking. Those who need it don't go for it <laughs> yeah absolutely and and they think they may they think they make speed and then you know it's it's like this this that in that sense is a nice example of airbnb they think they go fast but in the end it, it's it's uh, it's killing them almost yes i mean um i would add to this that um one of the problems is that when it comes to organic factors hmm. For example, thinking. Mm-hmm. Thinking is an organic factor. It's mm-hmm. not a tool mm-hmm. that you buy. Mm-hmm. So I can uh, sympathize with people who would say that uh, to buy critical thinking workshops mm-hmm. is kind of weird. Because it's absolutely true. It is weird. Because mm-hmm. uh, you cannot buy something you have. No. But you can Everybody buy, thinks. You can, you can buy um, an education. Yes, education uh, is a better framing mm. for it, probably mm. management education. Uh, but uh, on the other, on the same, in the same token, of course, uh, critical thinking is a higher level of thinking than just mm. thinking. Mm. Everybody can think, mm. very smart and stuff. Mm. And as we saw from the examples, uh, that doesn't mean that uh, critical thinking is present. Mm-hmm. And um, but uh, those who actually exercise critical thinking do in, they so to speak invest mm-hmm. in themselves to develop mm-hmm. this skill. Mm-hmm. Those who don't, they don't even see the need. Absolutely so that's why true. It's, oh, absolutely, that's absolutely true. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, decision making should should involve uh, critical thinking definitely. And uh, maybe the solution is that those who who already have critical do, do exercise critical thinking mm-hmm. they should not compromise it by adjusting to stupid mechanical measures within the organization but they should turn the table and try to make the organization become more critical absolutely 
which is always difficult eh? because the peer pressure and the hierarchy and stuff but um, you definitely need them it's it's almost impossible so for a middle manager with a critical thinking with critical thinking skills to turn the organization critical is is an impossible undertake it's not possible yeah. so he has to maneuver so to speak yeah. Um, yeah. and um, but uh, you know mechanical the good news in mechanical organizations is that mechanical organizations at least seemingly are much more easier to change mm -hmm. organic organizations change a little slower right uh, because there is no need for them to change and uh, mm -hmm. anything new that would force them to change yeah. is received rightfully in this case with yeah. suspicion yeah. in a mechanical organization since there is no almost no organicity you can mm -hmm. do whatever you want and this mm -hmm. is why the mantra mm -hmm. is that um, you should embrace <laughs> you should embrace change right but it's true you should because uh, at least you may as well have fun with it yeah, yeah, with something yeah. that is absolutely not ideal yeah you know? yeah yeah and uh, in in mechanical organizations when they talk about change resistance mm -hmm. uh, in very negative terms Typically, this is the positive aspect of the organization. This change resistance shows the level of organicity the company still has. Sure. You know, I, my approach would be uh, totally different from mm. traditional change management initiatives. Mm. And I would give much more floor to people who resist change. Oh, certainly. And, and, and I think as well that in a company you should um, maybe gain to have like a 30% of, of this critical thinkers, this troublemakers, this, this problem people. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, good, good. good to, the trouble people is definitely how they are perceived. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, so actually, if we if we look to the uh, to the uh, bad decision making as an organizational problem, yes, it is a problem. Um, but the, introducing the trivium uh, might help a lot. Yeah, we can say, of course, introducing mm. the trivium may help. May help. Uh, how you do, of course, uh, how you do it, as we discussed, is not sure. that easy. But uh, do it properly at the top. Yeah, it would help. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think this uh, this this might be a ni nice ending of this uh, this podcast. Um, you want to add something to this? Not not at this time. We will figure out uh, which direction we take this because sure. I think there are many areas that we can cover still. Well, uh, it, yeah, well, certainly, and um, and and maybe even we can uh, in in some separate series do something about the trivium. Well, how about that? Hmm. No, okay. Yeah. Good idea. Good, Good idea. idea. Okay. Um, thanks a lot, uh, Laszlo, and speak to you next Thank time. You. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you.